Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi, and I'm your host. And I want to explain a little bit about the podcast before we start the show this week. This podcast is an opportunity for me to speak with some of the most interesting people I know that I can find on the internet. So either with amazing talents or achievements or just unbelievable life stories or invaluable insights into areas that they have dedicated their lives to studying. I sit down with these amazing individuals from all across the world. Really, I, I've talked to people from you know, Slovenia to the Czech Republic to Australia to countries in Africa and South America, uh, really just all over the world. And I try to ask them the questions that will hopefully help you extract something valuable or learn something new or just get inspired by. And I do hope that you do get inspired by these talks uh, with some sort of a call to action, maybe change something that you wanted to change for a while, or even just enjoy, you know, detaching from the world for an hour and listening to some great conversations. So whatever it is that you get from this, I do hope that you extract something from it and enjoy the conversations. All these episodes are available on all the major podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and the rest of them. You can also find the episodes on my website, which is RoyBensV.com. You can find a lot of other information about me there as well, from photos to a little bit more insights into who I am, if you're interested. And, you know, you can always go to social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. I'm pretty active on both those platforms, although the only ones I have. And um, I try to post regularly so you can stay up to date. And also be sure to put your email on the website. Uh, I shoot emails out with updates, news, any new current information that I have will be sent via those emails and social media platforms. So yeah, make sure you're in the loop. On this week's episode, we have author, uh, fitness, CrossFit trainer, physical therapist, and speaker, Kelly Starrett. And Kelly has amazing insights into the world of uh, mobility, physical activity, just anything with body movement. This is the guy, you know, he's, he's written books, Becoming a Supple Leopard, Desk Bound, Ready to Run, Waterman 2.0, and other books. And they have I believe it's him and his wife. They have the ready state. And their main tenant there is mobility. Um, they pioneered methods, you know, a decade ago. And they've been working with Olympic gold medalists, uh, UFC champions, and just all these other top, top level athletes. And they've just been helping them to get more ready for whatever it is that they need to do. So working on mobility, working on flexibility, um, you know, down regulation, nutrition, everything in between. And they're really amazing. The, he has YouTube videos where he shows you just amazing little tips and hacks. So something that you guys should definitely check out, especially if you're having, well, the, the interesting thing about having a conversation with him and listening to other podcasts he's been on and the YouTube videos is the connectivity that he puts emphasis on. Um, you know, something that is wrong with your shoulder could be connected to your toe and something that's wrong with your finger could be connected to your, uh, butt. whatever it is, it's all connected and it all goes through the spine and listening to him, you start to realize that, okay, shit, like this in lingering injury that I have from years back, it could be affecting this other thing that's wrong with my knee right now. So it all goes through the spine and, I think it makes a lot of sense. I've had lingering inju injuries and it kind of, instead of dealing with them at those pivotal moments when I should have probably dealt with them, I think I'm now suffering from other issues that are related, but maybe I haven't put two and two together. So it's very interesting. And, you know, we all have pain, we all have injuries. Um, and sometimes, I don't know if it's for ego or if it's because of we're just accustomed to it and we think it's okay to live with the pain, but we just don't take care of those issues. And when we do, it's usually more preventative than, or excuse me, it's more reactive than preventative 
once we are hurt. And it's the same with diets, right? Like we get to a point where we've been eating crap for 20, 30 years and all of a sudden we have high blood pressure or whatever the issue is. And then we go to the doctor and he puts us on pills. But instead of looking and at a preventative way of dealing with it, where, okay, now I'm going to actually eat healthy. I'm actually going to exercise. So I don't go to the doctor and I don't get on those pills. And I think that's a general way that we need to start looking at our lives more preventative and less reactive to the problems that pop up because of our lifestyle choices. So I don't want to talk too much about this because I actually I'm a novice. I actually don't know too much about this topic. And that's why I did bring Kelly on because he's an expert among experts. Um, he's really looked into the nuts and bolts of this topic. And he just knows more about it than probably 99.9% .9 of people on the planet. So it's a pleasure to have him on the, on the, on the podcast, talk to him. We had to cut it a little bit short because he had somewhere to go. But uh, we talked after the podcast and we said that, you know, we'll set something up for hopefully later this month or uh, early next. So he'll be back. If you guys have more questions, you know, just shoot me an email. I'll be happy to, to ask him the questions that you guys have as well. He's got a wealth of knowledge. So don't be shy. Shoot me any questions you guys have. And yeah, I'll be sure to ask him. So without further ado, here is this week's guest. Kelly Starrett. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. How you doing? Nice to see you. Good morning. You as well, man. Thanks for coming on, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so I know we're a little stressed for time. This, we you know the plan was to do a little bit longer, but we'll have to cut it a little shorter today. And hopefully, you know, Kelly will, will uh, be gracious enough and come on maybe in a few weeks or a month, and we can fill up some of the questions that, that we have because there's a lot to talk uh, with oh, you. So many questions. So many questions. Honestly, I've been doing you know some research, but maybe a little bit before that, I want to get to know you a little bit better. I know you grew up in Germany. Um, so maybe give a little bit of background about yourself. You know, when did you move to the U.S.? How did you get into sports? You know, it's a, that's a fine question. It, it turns out I was a single child of a single working mother who was a professor. So my mom got her Ph.D. and this was in the eight, early 80s. And uh, she just was like, hey, I, I feel like we have this opportunity to go to Germany, live in this expatriate community there in the mountains. And we'll go for wow. six months. My mom had just finished uh, defending her Ph.D. And uh but then Reagan came to power. The dollar was super high and it was a great place to raise a kid. Everyone had a bike. We were sort of contained in this Bavarian Valley. I mean, it, it really is ridiculous. If you Google Gurmish, you'll be like, oh, okay. That, that's paradise. And everyone, um, you know, our, our, our school got out at noon and we went skiing in the winter. That sort of thing. Everyone was forced to ski. We, uh, we all played as many sports as we could. We skied, we mountain biked. That's where I learned to kayak. And I uh, was just sort of, you know, in that time, we were always appreciating that the best athlete was the kid. She was the girl who could do everything, the kid who could do everything. So that really kind of set the tone for me because I didn't grow up necessarily in traditional, you know, all of traditional ball sports. I grew up with all these sort of other sports where, you know, you really had to be athletic. Not that, you, of course, you're athletic in those ball sports, but just a different, different paradigm. Yeah. You know, and a lot of self-reliance. And then I moved back to the States when I was 15 and fell in love with, you know, American football and, uh, you know, kind of fell in love with kayaking again when I left uh, college or when I got to college because I just, you know, discovered I didn't want to play football because I was small and slow, which is not a win winning combination for, for collegiate athletics. And since they've canceled football this year, you know, maybe I made the good call. Yeah. Um, you had then, the foresight. That's right. And then, you know, and lo and behold, the kayaking bug hit big. And uh, we were all river guides in the summer and all in teaching kayaking. And, uh, you know, that fast forwards to the national team. And then I was in Chile racing when I met my wife who lived in San Francisco. And so sort of it all comes together. And in the middle of that, I think what's, what's important and germane is I was a perfect product of the system. We were all about volume. We were all about exposure. And when I got injured, I had a really bad neck injury, like an overuse kind of brachial plexus injury. Right hand went numb, couldn't turn my head. 
everyone was like, oh yeah, this always happens. And I remember just, you know, sort of being shocked, but what do you mean you knew this was going to happen? Like, oh yeah, like if you play in the NFL, you have a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to get injured. Right. Like, well, yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't how we talked about other sports. And that really sent me to physical therapy school and realizing that it wasn't just about, you know, how hard you could work, that nutrition mattered, that sleep mattered, that feeling stress mattered, um, how you breathe mattered, your range of motion. And I felt like we should be able to connect the dots a little more effectively in that, you know, in my first year of physio school, I discover what, you know, the CrossFit of, you know, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, which is very different. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden fell in love with the, you know, I was already working with an Olympic lifting coach in the city learning to Olympic lift and knew that that was somehow I needed to do that. I read Dan John's book, you know, get up. Um, I've been following Pavel for years and all of a sudden I just, you know, we started to stitch together this notion of that strength and conditioning isn't just about physiology. It's about environmental loads and the place to talk about pain. It's the place to talk about nutrition. We discovered that we had this diagnostic tool that allowed us to cut people in half and understand everything we needed to see. Because I'm like, oh, you think you are a really good runner? Well, let's see what happens when you run fast. Yeah. You know? And it's really difficult to understand your running mechanics because we're like, oh, you're a good runner. So you must, because you run and you don't have pain, that must be enough. Yeah. But as soon as I saw you squat or deadlift or hinge or fall apart, I could just, it made, as my mother-in-law said, it made the invisible visible. And then that, you know, suddenly map that onto um, an era where, you know, strength conditioning and the internet takes off and, you know, you can buy kettlebells at Target. I mean, the world has changed. And so now we get to have the next conversation. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about pain. You mentioned pain for a bit, and that's something I'm very familiar with. And I'm sure a lot of people are uh, going through enough of it. But you're saying that pain is not necessarily the problem. And it doesn't mean that, that, that you can't train. You're saying that because I heard I think I read this either in an outside article or maybe on one of the podcasts. Mm. But basically, if you if you can run, you're not necessarily injured. You have there are obviously injuries that people can sustain. But if you can run and if you can function, uh, you're not necessarily injured. You're just in pain. And I think that's a little bit of a radical shift in, in, in conception of what pain is, because that's not how most people treat it. And most people go about it. Yeah. And most people numb it. Yeah, exactly. And they also don't want to, they also don't want to treat it with pain because a lot of times you have to treat pain with pain and no one wants to feel pain. That's right. Well, you know, I think it's, um, look, they're making the new, the new Dune movie. Thank God. Like it's the only thing, it's like one of the things I'm living for. I'm living for my (laughs) family, but Dune is what I'm living for. Dune's the main thing. But in, uh, you know, in the original book, you know, or and in the original movie, you know, Paul puts his hand in the box. And the Bene Gesserit woman is testing him and to test his sort of evolution as a person. And in the box, it's a pain generator where he thinks his hand is melting off, right? And she induces all this nerve inductive pain. And the test is if he pulls his hand out of the box and withdraws from the painful stimulus, she's going to kill him with this poison needle. So he's got to make a choice. And the choice is to be conscious and to, un- and to live with it and understand what it is and that it's just all in his head and, he doesn't let me against fear and uh, right. He pulls his hand out and, uh, and he's fine. And, you know, she says our test is crisis and observation, you know, which is really interesting. So, and the reason I bring this up is pain is just information and it's the kind of information that is scary because it's really disconcerting and it hurts and it gets your attention. You know, many people, very smart people have said quest, you know, pain is a, is a request for change or pain is a signal to change a behavior. And so it's really interesting. It should be no, viewed by us no differently than loss of loss of range of motion or loss of force production. Like if you come into the gym and you're crappy today, mm-hmm. no one panics, but that force output or inability to put force out is the same thing as your knee hurting after a run, right? You're getting signaling from your central nervous system that you are smoked or something's up and and, you know, the key here is to appreciate that and draw a clear line in the sand that, you know, tissue, you know, pain does not mean tissue damage at all. I mean, clearly sometimes, look, there's a bone sticking out of your leg, you're injured, right? You've sprained yeah. your ankle, like, you know what an injury looks like. Or if you have night sweats, dizziness, fever, vomiting, nausea, like there's something pathological going on, right? You do have rabies of the shoulder. I'm sorry, that's why your shoulder hurts. Or you can't do your job, you can't occupy your role in society, and this thing 
this this you know painful knee is is not allowing you to do your role on the team or do your job. So suddenly now we have this clear line of hey that's an injury and that's when we seek medical medical attention and we have to change this paradigm because if I ask the average person even going back to middle school and high school do you have pain the answer is yes. Yeah. And what we know is that the resting state of the human being is pain free. But pain is such a common experience. It can't mean injury and it can't mean a medical professional that has to be involved. Why do I know? Because it's already going that way. We're not already involving the medical professionals, you know, and, you know, I, I'll talk at a local high school and I'll say, how many of you kids are pain free? And very few, you know, kids raise their hand. And I say, all right, who's got shoulder pain? Keep your hands up. Who's got back pain? Who's got knee pain? And the, the teachers and parents are like, what is going on? And I'm like, well, you never asked. And these kids thought it was normal. And then what we say is take ibuprofen, take Tylenol, you know, take weed, numb your pain, right? Ice that thing. Like, let's just numb it. Well, you know, that's like, I mean, let's just numb your feelings. I mean, pain is a feeling. So, and it's important to appreciate that, you know, as a, as a signal, it can tell us about adaptation errors, you know, like, hey, I went really hard and then didn't decongest or my nutrition is crappy or I'm super stressed. I mean, that, that will set, tell your brain, sort of set your sensitivity. And let's appreciate that pain isn't in the tissues at all. You don't have pain generators in your tissues. It's all about how your brain perceives pain, right? Because I, I can tell your knee hurts, and then for you, a, a beautiful woman walks into the room, and your knee is not going to hurt. You're going to get on that. and It hurts less, yeah. It hurts less. And that's, you know, I'm like, here's a million dollars for your knee to stop hurting. And you're like, done. It doesn't yeah. hurt anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go run. And, you know, um, if you've ever been in a fight, for example, but one of the dirtiest secrets about fighting is that you don't feel any pain during the fight. Yeah. You feel a lot of pain after the fight. Uh, 100%. But once the adrenaline is going – you you're really pretty indestructible and i mean you will undergo real damage but you won't may not feel it and if you've ever been in an accident or broken a bone or had that experience so what we want to do is shift this whole narrative about what does it mean so we don't fear it and that we begin to appreciate it as hey this is something i can control i can change my environment i can i can improve the local tissue health sort of what we call small picture so i'm like hey what's small picture well we can decongest that we can do blood flow restriction we can go shot we can cup it we can tape it we have all these tools to desensitize or change how your brain's thinking about that tissue and then big picture can be well show me that you're actually getting some enough sleep and if you're in pain or have chronic pain or injured your baseline for sleep is eight to nine hours, which means you need to be in bed at least nine hours to get eight hours of sleep. But if you're not sleeping that much and you have pain, I'm like, well, what did you expect? Your brain is all twitchy and, and messed up. So what we have a chance to do is, especially in the gym environment, in the training environment, is all become experts at helping each other manage what is a normal experience of human beings, which is having pain, which is like saying a normal experience of human beings is breathing hard on the bike. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. it's normal. This is typical. And it's just information. Like, why did you suck today? I don't know. Well, I you drank three pitchers of beer and smashed a pizza last night. I'll tell you why you suck today. Right. Why did you suck today? Well, uh, you know, I went for this run and then I just sat in my car and watched that, you know, you're like, okay, I get it. So that's, that's what's the promise and the power of modern strength condition. I feel like every answer you give is like a Pandora's box of, of more oh, yeah. questions for me to ask. <laughs> like you're just giving for, me more. For sure. Yeah. More fuel to the fire. But I mean, if I, if I look at, at, my, at my own self as an example, and um, many, many years ago, I, you know, I, I broke my leg, had a pretty bad accident and, um, couldn't train for about a year. And then fast forward to about a year, I'm, I'm sparring, I'm, I'm throwing across, boom, my shoulders out, you know, dislocated completely. And my coach kind of like, you know, he, he moved it around a bit. It kind of like popped right back in it was brutal five minutes of just uh, severe pain. <laughs> it was not brutal. fun. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. And, um, and then he sent me to, to a chiropractor, which, you know, uh, that's different. I don't know if, you know, some people are, for the pro, some people are against them, but regardless, I went to the chiropractor and what he said was something that I think echoed something I've heard you say, which is it's, it's a full body mechanics. Like he says, the reason I dislocated my shoulder was because of the leg that I broke. And because my leg, I was putting more emphasis on the left leg, which was the healthier leg. My spine was not aligned. Therefore the shoulder, when I, when I threw the, the cross, it kind of popped out. 
Now, you know, at the time I didn't, I was, I was very young. It didn't really make too much sense to me, but now I see that there's much more, um, you know, the, there's much more communication between all different body parts. And before I just, I didn't realize that as much. Well, you know, I think it's useful to appreciate that that was a, a common experience. It is your shoulder. Let's look at your shoulder. My daughter had a few years ago, had a terrible spiral fracture of a tibia on, on a trampoline. She was working with a coach on her backflip, came down. She's about to go through puberty. Boom, smashed her tibia, right? And the doctor was like, all right, you know, took the cast off. I, mean, I won't, I won't bore you with the thing, but I was the worst dad ever. I'm like, you know, we trained hard, you know, I was like, you got to get out of the splints, you know, she's, you know, they were just like, and, I, and at the end I would be like, prove me wrong, you know? And they'd be like, we've never seen bone density and healing. You know I mean? I just, I just applied what we know about sports and performance to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, that the end, the PA was like, she's all set. Good go. And I was like, all good to go what attaches to her tibia, you know, like all the muscles in her leg, like, like, what are you talking about? Like she tore her inner osseous membrane. She's been limping around for in a cast for three weeks. What do you mean? She's good to go. And it's not his fault. It's a product of our training and a product of our experience. And the key here is to appreciate that we can always make just so stories like, Oh, I could, I have a hypothesis about why your shoulder and the, you know, the compensation it's just a hypothesis. But what I can tell you is that your shoulder doesn't work very well. How do I know when I put you in a dumbbell or I put you in a split stance, you can't press very well, or you're missing internal rotation on that shoulder on that side for whatever reason, because you were on crutches and you use crutches for a ton and your shoulders became all douchey because you were forward all the time on the crutches resting. You know, the idea here is, well, how do we get away from this conversation of, well, my big toe hurts. And so that changes my shoulder mechanics, which is real. We've seen that in professional baseball guy gets a, a ingrown toenail on his big toe and it hurts to push off. So he turns, starts going around his big toe and his shoulder starts hurting. Like that's, that's true, right? Yeah. Yeah. Changes mechanics, comma. What we need to do is appreciate that one of the reasons we engage in a movement practice every day is that that movement practice tells us what's going on because your range of motion and movement quality is a dynamic moving target. And if you don't believe me, have a baby, don't sleep for a while, jump on a red eye, you know, run a marathon, and then let me know how great your hips feel and how awesome your knees feel, or you're going to feel like a thousand years old. Yeah. So, so the idea here is, well, if I jump, if I did Pilates or yoga or swing kettlebells or in a barbell movement, really, you know, good program, I would expose myself to the limits of my range of motion every day. That's why, you know, strength conditioning is as much about coordination and restoration and management of position as it is about changes in physiology. It's not just about getting stronger muscles. It's about neuromuscular efficiency, about exposing your joints and range of motion to all the ranges that they need to have. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I think we don't need all these correlate languages of diagnostics. Like it's great if you're a physical therapist or a chiro, it's, it's great if you use the FMS or what, but I need you to understand what's happening in front of you today, because this is who you are and what we know from experience, the same way that we have to change this conversation about pain is we need to change the conversation about understanding what we're seeing. Because if I give you a test and I'm like, here's your, here's a snapshot of how you're moving You'll be like, that's great. I crushed that or I didn't crush that. That goes in the drawer. You go back to train. It doesn't change any of your behaviors. But if you start to get to the idea that you can understand how you're moving today, hey, when we were doing those front squats, man, it was difficult for me to keep my foot pressure and hitting depth was tricky or I started to lose my back or my rings started to internally rotate. All of a sudden, it's really easy to see what's going on if you know what to look for. That means that the stimulus for adaptation, the training, which we love to do, and the gym is the richest it's ever been, is also the diagnostic tool so that we can conjoin behaviors with what's going on. That means when things start to go haywire, boom, we can kick them back in. Oh, I need to spend a little more time on my ankles today. Why? Because I don't know. I rode my bike yesterday. I did a bunch of Muay Thai. Like, it doesn't matter what the mechanism is. The matter is, hey, whatever's happening, something's changing. Boom, I can jump right on yeah. And I think I'm I'm one of those, you know, stupid dude that or dude type guys that 
are you know i'm like if something hurts i'm like no no i'm good i'm good i i don't want to yeah, I hear you. you know it's an ego thing like you don't want to admit that something hurts you're like i'm good I can, i'm tough i'm rough i can you know get past this and you know i broke both shoulders so like i don't i do not have full range of motion in my shoulders now and that's something I've, i when i went to yoga and i would just have to like put my shoulders in a 90 degree i'm like oh okay like I, I see what's happening <laughs> this is i can't do what the 65 year old lady is doing next to me granted you know she probably doesn't have two broken shoulders but i'm sure that's something i can work on but i've noticed that you know over maybe the past few years and again this goes back to potentially everything being connected you know i'll go pick up something off the floor boom backs out i can't move for three to four days just like a regular mundane movement right and yeah, well, just, the question is what were you picking off off the floor oh my god like a 500 pound dumbbell in your living room <laughs> no like the 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 water bowl for the dog right something that, that like a pound so is there a point like so I, only recently have i started to realize it and think about okay like everything's connected. I need to start taking care of all these things because a shoulder could affect my back, could affect my leg, could affect everything well, else. It will affect it because yeah. the way that your spine creates stability, right? It, it's, it's a, it's inc- your spine is such a complicated structure that we can't even model it in a computer. How about that? Like it has so many moving parts and so many forces on it, diaphragm, obliques, pecs, you know, your, your low back, your shoulders, your, your lats. I mean, holy hell, the number of forces on your spine are insane, right? Yeah. But your spine is connected to your pelvis. I don't know if you've noticed that. I and, have. And <laughs> it's super weird to think that we look at your spine without looking at what's going on with your hips. And so if someone has low back pain, I often think, don't think it's a back problem. I think you have a hip problem. Why? Well, the hip is so the the spine is like a chassis and you have these big engines and the spine can generate force and move and all that but the the big primary engines of the body are the hips and the shoulders so off of that organized chassis we have better hip function you people forget you have 13 muscles that create external rotation in your hip you think you think external rotation is important I don't know, you have 13 different ways to create it, right? So when your foot is straight and your coach is saying, screw your feet into the ground or knees out, right? I mean, that's one of the ways that we use to create stability to the spine. And so what we're looking at is, hey, if I have this leg system and I put my pelvis on top of it, well, how do I create a stable relationship between pelvis and femur? It's not through the hamstrings and glutes you know, or or the hamstrings and quads. I mean, those are long rubber band muscles, right? Yeah. So it's all of these deep rotators, your hip. So everyone knows the rotator cuff of the shoulder, but your hip has a rotator cuff. And there are six muscles that make that rotator cuff, six. So it turns out your body really prioritizes how well your femur rotates and is able to create a stable pelvis off of the femur it's not because you walk around doing this all day with your leg waving to people and manipulating the ground your leg is pretty much does you know you can turn and do what you need but it's about foot straight and then that rotation allows the pelvis to become stable on the femur but imagine now that you're missing hip flexion can't bring your knee to your chest so you start to run in well your body's going to solve this problem some way why because it knows you got to keep going. So you're going to dump your pelvis or you're going to start to call. And the language that we used to use is pelvic fault or movement fault. And that's the wrong language. You know, I inherited that language. I'm going to throw all the physios in front of me under the bus. What we now say is that's a compensation. You will compensate and compensation doesn't necessarily beget pain. It just says, Hey, that may not be the best way to move. Or you may not you may only be using 70% of your capacity. And if you just want to be 70%, that's fine with me. Yeah. And uh, if you want to go fast and lift weights and sort of have the best expression of what's possible with your body, then 70% is a C. And I think we can, we can untap that. Why or how? Well, when you did a squat, you fell over backwards. Or you did a squat, your knee stopped at 90 degrees and you can't get below parallel. Well, it's easy for me to understand that you don't have normative or base range of motion skills all I need to do is watch you move. And then when we improve that or work on it or maintain it through a normal practice, suddenly what we've done is we freed up the mechanics and the normal function of the back to do what it's supposed to do. So it's not a mystery. Like, why did I throw my back out? Well, it's complicated, but I will tell you, you know, if you're missing hip extension and you have no rotation in your, in your hips, yeah. that's probably why. It's not because your core was weak. Holy shit. That's not the problem. 
that's uh yeah that's a mind-blowing moment i think for me when i started to realize all those different things and just like you mentioned but let me ask you like i have a i, have a, I guess a question that's split into two but it goes back also to just day-to-day things that we do you literally wrote the book you know on sitting down and you know me as especially now i sit down a lot i do the podcast research emails etc yeah. etc yeah. I try to get up as much as possible. You know, I'll, I'll say like maybe every hour, maybe two, you know, walk around, especially I have ADD. So I move around a lot regardless. And, it, you know, I think that helps me out a little bit. But does all that, all those little movements, does that negate any of the harm from all the sitting down that I do all the time? Or is just do I need to completely rethink the way I work? And, and, and also, I remember that you said something that also blew my mind when you extend your um your head forward that puts all the i think it was like 10 extra like an inch was at 10 pounds if i'm not mistaken right? right on the spine and i immediately like took my head back i was like okay <laughs> like i just immediately took my head back and i've been trying to be very conscious of that ever since but yeah i guess is there do i need to change the way i do work or is what i'm doing taking those breaks and trying to be more conscious of the way I sit enough. Well, sit, let's just say that sitting isn't bad, right? Yeah. Sitting in a chair is less of, less good than sitting on the ground or sitting cross-legged, yeah. right, or, or kneeling. Why? Because one of the things that we evolved to do over 10,000 years, the last 10,000 years, we haven't changed at all. But for two and a half million years, it got us to here. It turns out we slept on the ground, toileted on the ground, ate on the ground, cooked on the ground, hung out on the ground, right? There aren't more chairs. Chairs are pretty recent invention. Yeah, And it was really a status symbol to get people off the ground. If you had a chair, you were up over everyone else. And um, the idea here is that chair doesn't tap into the stability system of your spine, right? Because you can't use your hips to create a stable pelvis. And so you're just sort of wobbling around. And, and don't worry, your body will solve a problem for you. It will just either slouch till you get to the end. We call it hanging on the meat, right? You're fine. And again, that may not even ever be a generator of pain for you. Yeah. But it turns out it probably will compromise your function. And there is a body of research now showing that ultimately it's not about sitting and standing. There are changes in your ability to put your arms over your head and take a full breath and have your pelvic floor work and, and extend your hip and et cetera, et cetera. But if, we're just, I mean, if you're just low level, you know, moving around, it may or may not be a problem. It may be a problem. But the real issue is, are you moving or are you not moving? Because you're designed to be in constant motion throughout the day. And that's what I really want people to understand. It's not sitting bad, standing good. Dude, go ahead and stand at a factory job on your feet for 10 hours. Let me know how that goes for you, right? It's brutal. And that's why they have mats that squish and you put your foot up and you need to fidget and you may need to take a break and sit down. The idea is we're in constant motion. So any one position for a long period of time, no good. Harvard that institution describes sedentary lifestyle as sitting more than six hours a day. And we can be more granular than that. A sedentary behavior is any behavior that falls below a metabolic equivalent. So how much energy your body's moving. Mm -hmm. So a metabolic equivalent, if you've ever been on old Stairmaster, it says Mets, how many Mets you're doing, right? That's why I always think about the new, you know, the the baseball team, the Mets. I'm like, well, that's kind of legit. And, um, the met, a metabolic equivalent, is this threshold of sedentary behavior, non-sedentary, which is one and a half. So standing up, one and a half. Leaning, perching against the bar stool, one and a half. Sitting in a chair below one and a half. And your brain starts to do very complicated calculus. It starts to change how you burn sugar. It starts to change what's going on. And it really, we understand that the game here is loading and moving. And there was even some research research recently that they think that sitting down changes how much your body thinks it's supposed to weigh and standing up is and moving is helps your brain understand what it's supposed to weigh. Yeah. And so they, they think there are actually these weight sort of measurements, tension, you know, sensors in the body. And they did a whole bunch of interesting thing with rats where they it put pellets in the rats and the rats would up or down regulate their body weight to maintain their regular body weight. Wow. So I'll just say that the, the field of sedentary biology is very interesting but for you if you just want to go do elliptical machine and bicep curls you know and and you know it may or may not ever cause pain you may get fat you may be insulin insensitive you may not be able to extend your hip and if you ever want to run fast or 
have access to your body, it may not be the best way to do that, right? Because we can measure those changes. So, well, that's optimistic. What I, yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, the well, easiest thing to do is to get a standing station, right? And to vary your work area. So right now I'm at my table because I think it, this, my, my, my shelf looks behind me. So I'm sitting in my mid-century modern table, but I'm sitting cross-legged on the, on the chair. You can work on the ground. You can get a little stand. Like uh, our friends at Veridesk make this little uh, laptop tray that goes on the ground. So I do a lot of work on the ground, which means I'm secretly working on all my hip range of motion on the ground. Being on the ground is one of the ways that the body tunes itself. It's one of the ways that the hip maintains its function. It's one of the ways that like, we keep our internal external rotation because we're sitting on the ground. And so what's nice then is that if I vary the environment, you shouldn't, if you need to sit down and work, go sit down and work for a while, but then stand and work for a while, fidget work. I mean, we figured this out. This is how clever we are. People went drinking. There used to be these places called bars where you'd go drink alcohol with your friends. I remember. Yeah, yeah. We'll write about them in the history books. <laughs> but they realized that you couldn't have a table height. You needed a bar height, right? Yeah. And that bar height allowed people to lean up against the bar. That's why it's padded. And then they were like, hmm, we should put a bar stool here so you can lean. And then they even made a place where you could put a foot up, right? That bo- the rail at the bottom. Yeah. And putting your foot up made that you took some of the extension load out of your spine and you're able to fidget. And so what we say is, hey, it's not a standing station until you have the Captain Morgan option at your standing station. <laughs> and what we found was from the bartenders that people would sit around and drink a lot longer versus uh, my back hurts, uh, right? So, so the key here is how do I set up the environment so that I have a better option with my body and I don't have to remind myself to get up every once in a while? You know, I think, and, and, and you know, that's what we want to do. I want to take out some of the, some of the choice so that it's not, it's not about discipline. You know, if you, if you sit, cause you work great there, you know, I work with president Obama and I set up his workstation for his book. Right. And he can only write sitting down, but it was killing him. Right. So we got, I got him this fidget bar that we made and we put him on a, a, a different chair that gave him movement choice. And then he works with an amazing physical therapist and coach. And so the idea is set yourself up, to do the best thing you can, make the best choices you can, and then don't worry about it because you're still a badass human being. You know, so for, so for you, not to, you know, Franz Bosch is this current uh, writer and thinker from the, uh, the Netherlands, and he's one of the best, best thinking uh, writers about coaching and, and motor learning and movement. And uh, he has a great co- quote in there in his new book. It says, there's more variation in waltzing than there is in sprinting. And the, the idea here is that at low intensity exercise, it matters less. Yeah. Low intensity movement, it matters less. So, for example, walking with your feet turned out like Donald Duck, it's not great. But you can get away with it walking, low level, your grandma, fine. But if you want to sprint, if you want to snatch and clean and jerk and cut, your foot has to go straight. Mm-hmm. If you want to win a Tour de France on the bike, your foot has to go straight on the pedal. So at high intensity, at high speeds, high loads, high iterations, we need as much physiology and access to the physiology as we can. At low level activities of daily living, it matters less. And that's the way to think about it, right? So for me, I always want to maintain the choice of being able to have the best expression of the thing. It means full hip range of motion. Because what I want people to appreciate is that your body is so anti-fragile and so robust, it will put up with your crap for a long time. But if suddenly you have a hip impingement, right, or you went to a boxing class and dislocated your shoulder on a punch, that's crazy, right? Then what it turns out was, well, maybe your resting position did matter and your lack of internal rotation of your shoulder did matter. Why? Well, you weren't clever enough to forecast yourself into 20 years in the future, 10 years in the future, and appreciate that your lack of range of motion was going to cost you something when you wanted to go fast, learn a new skill end up falling, do something at high speed. So that's really the issue. And, and so now at least we can say, well, here's what every human being is forecasted to be able to do. Why can't we do it? And I think that's a lot easier bar to set than you think. And pain is the lowest bar. So if you just want to get out of pain, ooh, that's pretty simple, right? But that doesn't, that's not the tricky part of training, of practice, of skill, and that, that's okay. We have our whole lives to become better at this. It's okay. You don't have to fix it all today. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the inventions, modern inventions are 
you know, very, they produce comfort, but not necessarily biologically what we need. And, you know, even toilets, right? Toilets is another one. Like when you sit outside and squat, like you're going to go in a second, right? Where versus in the toilet, you're going to sit on your phone and you're going to be there for a good good amount of time. Perfect. We sell squatty potties to people, right? No, no, no. You need to to poop like your answers just to poop, but in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Look, Look, we are it's not an accident that we are designed to like hold on to our calories, right? Cause that is really efficient. Thank God. But that makes that sugar and that carbs, man, it is addictive stuff. Like oh, yeah. why is porn so addictive? Let me tell you why. Cause we are wired to reproduce, right? So, I mean, when you start to look at these things as, Hey, this allows me to save energy. Oh, this sugar is so good. You know, like the difference between salt and sugar Salt is biologically imperative. You need salt. And the better you eat, the cleaner, I'll put in quotation marks, once you start eating whole foods again, you start eating processed foods, you have to add salt back to your diet. You're not getting enough salt. Mm -hmm. And your brain is so sensitive that it will tell you you've had enough salt. Like you'll start salting things. I need, oh, it's so good. Salt, 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 salt. And then all of a sudden you're like, that's too salty. That is your brain saying you have enough salt. Sugar, there's no off button. Yeah. Like you're just like, get me on that treadmill. And that's because those Sugar's are like crack. Dude, it is not like crack. It's crack. <laughs> it's crack. It, it is heroin. And when you begin to see sort of what we're set up, no wonder Instagram is so addictive, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, you know these behaviors that allow us to relax and not have to expend energy, those are addictive, and they have made our lives better. I mean, going out and hoeing a field by hand is shit work, yeah. right? And I don't want to do that anymore. And um, you know, so on the one hand. You know, what we have to do is, as my friend Matt Vincent says, you know, he has to do a bunch of work, fake work to support muscles he doesn't need in his real life, right? That's what he says. And that really is very intuitive or very insightful because what we're doing now is realizing, okay, we have to go in the sun. I used to not have to worry about that, right? I have to walk more. Well, I used to have to walk a lot more because we couldn't afford a car and no one had a car and it was hard. And, you know, I had to, exercise more. Well, if I have to chop firewood and carry stuff, I don't need to move my body as much. So all of a sudden we're having to sort of say, well, what does it mean to be a human being? What are the essential behaviors that we need to put in so that we can at least just keep the machine humming? Yeah. And, you know, I think because we're, especially in the U.S., uh, free market capitalist society that's always looking for a product or a guru or a service to help solve all problems externally, we're always looking for something like that. And it's for the most part, it's it's recycled information. It's it's some sort of a loop that someone already said it like 50 years ago. And we kind of know the basics, right? We know the foundations. We know that you should eat your veggies and your fruits and a whole food diet and don't smoke and exercise and you know try to be part of a community and low stress. All those things are are... I think we know them, but for some reason, people spend so much money and so much of their lives to seek out these people. And they spend a lot of money on a lot of books and a lot of uh, conventions and, you know, web webinars to get the information that they kind of already know. And the amount of, you know, I don't want to say fake gurus, but the amount of ads I get on YouTube for all these exercise gurus and fitness gurus that just if you click on this one thing, we're going to solve all your problems. And you, you, it's, it's endless. It's really endless. Like every day I'll have like six or seven new people trying to solve all my problems if I just click this one button. And yeah, I, and, yeah. And, and what you're realizing is, I mean, I think you're really hitting, you know, it, it is our curious nature. There's a better way. And look, what we want people to understand is that we can be really agnostic about what it looks like. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of different ways to eat, but they all rhyme with whole food and can't eat a ton. You can't eat, you can't eat like a, a tantrum, you know, middle schooler. You can't, Yeah. especially I'm 47. You just, I can't do it. You know, um, my rule is I don't have anything. I don't snack during the day. I don't have anything sweet until after 8 PM. I have to get to 8 PM. And then if I want a cookie, I have a cookie, but I didn't snack during the day. I didn't eat a cookie during the day. Um, you know, what you, what you're appreciating here is, you know, the fact that you could go to church, ride Peloton, deadlift a little bit, boom, you have a community, you feel connected to people in your community, you know, you're eating whole foods, you know, you do a little aerobic work and you lift a weight and, yeah. and guess what? Rinse, wash, repeat. 
Yeah. And the difference here is I think sometimes we think we're going to win our health. We've, we've treated our health like it's a game. One day we're going to win and we're going to get max score. And, you know, you don't get high score on your health. Like this is, you know, you're going to die. And I don't mean to be flippant about that, but the key is that this isn't what we call an infinite game. And the only way you can win an infinite game is to continue to play well and continue to keep everyone else in play. And it also means that there are going to be days where you sucked at the game. You lost the game. Why? Well, you ate, you ate like shit. You had poor sleep. You went drinking with your friends and you didn't move your body. And you're like, oh, I didn't play very well. But tomorrow you can play better. And you know, tomorrow you can hug your family and get some sunshine and breathe hard and lift a little weight and sleep more and drink some water. And I think when you start to look at every day as a chance to play a little bit better, and the goal is to continue to play as well as you can, because there'll be times in your life where you cannot play well. Don't panic. Control what you can control. Do a little meditating. Walk for 20 minutes. Get some sunshine. Check the box. You know, if you, if you know, like I get on an airplane, I don't eat. I'm like, I'm just sitting here. I don't need to eat anything. Like my brain is like, you should eat something. I'm like, no, no, I don't need to eat anything. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm winning the game today. And I think when we look at it like, I'm going to take my shirt off one day and reveal my abs on Instagram. And then I'll have one dude. That is what a bunch of horse crap that is. And you won't win because the next day when you're smashing pizza again, you know, you're going to just be chasing this thing. So what I think all of those ads really do speak to the fact that we're looking for, we're looking for a shortcut or a better way. And instead set up your life. So you don't have to make a decision. You know, if I don't want to eat cookies, I don't have cookies in the house. If I swear, if there are cookies in the house, I'll wake up at two in the morning and I will be like, it's my God given right and destiny. And my, I will protect my family by eating these cookies. And, uh, you know what I mean? And I'll eat all the cookies. And so I just don't have cookies in the house. Like that's just easy for me. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be on your phone and you think that that's a problem. Don't put your phone in your bedroom. You know, have to, have set your, self-restraint. Well, you don't even have to do it. Set up a behavior. So if you have a training partner who's no, you know you're going to show up at three, you'll show up at three. And it's not that you don't love to train, but you don't want to let that person down, right? And so what's interesting then is, you know, suddenly you can start to constrain your environment, right? You can sit on the ground, you know, you can work in these different places and you don't have to make a choice and you let that game run and I guarantee you, you'll feel better. And I think that's really the bottom line is that we – we aren't doing a good job of maximizing how good we can feel. You know, it's not about, you know, getting cancer, not getting cancer, you know, falling off the toilet when I'm a hundred. That's not what it's about. It's about, wow, you think you're killing it today, but you're actually not, you don't feel very good. You're not as bright as you think you are. You're not smashing the weights like you think you are. You have a lot more hidden potential. Yeah. I know, I know you got to go, but I'm just going to last question. I know you're a big um, fan of Yuval Noah Harari and uh, I had a point, you know, last year where I was listening to stuff consistently, reading the books, the lectures, everything. Um, but do you have someone that maybe this year you've been listening to that's maybe just as good or just as influential? Um, you know, it's interesting right now. We're in the age of synthesis, you know, um, where, uh, you know, Harari is like my, my total hero. Yeah. I, aspire, I aspire to integrate as many, many things as that kid can integrate. Yeah, he's a man. Um, um, you know, what's interesting is uh, I am deep diving back into like body systems. Like I am super, I've become super obsessed with understanding more about fascia again. Like it's not like I didn't go to grad school and I have all these fashion nerds. Also, I'm deep into the lymphatic system again. Um, but, you know, from a, from a holistic view, I'm really interested in how you kind of create environment to get a better outcome like that. You know, my, ultimately my, my degree in college was geography and I was in cultural geography, which is interaction between person and environment and how does people shape environment and how does the environment shape people, right? What a good thing to study. Cause it's all about human behavior. Anyway, I, I am a humanist, but, um, you know, what I would say is, uh, to that end, I, I continue to look at things like, uh, David Epstein's book range I think that's wonderful. Um, and, you know, I keep thinking about how we can sort of manipulate and change our environment a little bit culturally. Uh, the, my favorite book last year I read was called uh, The Man Watching. 
And it's a biography of Anson Dorrance, who was the head coach and still the head coach at UNC women's soccer. He's the winningest coach in, in history at any level and of anything. He, like if you don't know who Anson Dorrance is, you actually aren't a fan of coaching. And, um, but what's really interesting is to listen to and watch or read about how he developed his culture and how he developed his system through trial and error and, and, and how he continually sets the system up to let the best athletes and the strongest women, the best women sort of thrive in that environment. Right. Because not everyone is a special snowflake, you know, yeah. and, and to, to, to create an environment where you don't have to do as much work and you can focus on the person. That's really the magic because otherwise we just run out of focus and attention. So the man watching Anson Dorrance, again, it's about, um, you know, really looking at this interaction of humans and how clever we are and how much more clever we can be. And right now, we're seeing suicides are up, um, domestic abuse is up, depression is up. Um, you know, we're not doing a good job right now. And because we're really not doing the things that humans should be, you know, like everyone's like, look at all these house parties. I'm like, yeah, people need to be with other people. Like yeah. it may not be right or healthy or good, but you can't keep humans apart because that's what makes us humans. And I think people are discovering that. So hopefully we'll figure that out, but I, I'm less I'm more forgiving of these, these parties. I'm like, man, this is, you know, humans are what are what's most important. And so thinking social about creatures. we are social creatures. We need it. It's not optional. Yeah. And uh, you're not a lone wolf and even wolves have friends. So, uh, you know, I think, I think that's, what's interesting to me right now. So I'm kind of back to fun foundational principles, you know, as we go, I go deep into the weeds and now I'm like the lymphatic system. You know, (laughs) looking at the brain and neuroplasticity and then, you know, so in those terms, I think, um, you know, that that's what's most interesting right now. That's awesome, man. Well, like I said, I know you got to go. We got a little bit of a hard stop here, but I still have a lot of questions. So hopefully we can do it again in the future. Anytime, anytime Uh, you look, you once you wind me up, clearly I have a lot to say. Yeah, I I (laughs) I love it. I think we're killing it. I think we're. I am such a fan of what we're doing in strength and conditioning in fighting in culture. I, I just feel like that's how we're going to get out of this thing. You know, yeah. we're seeing that, you know, metabolic disease is what really the thing that's destroying our, our culture right now through COVID. It's not necessarily the disease. It's the fact that we're so insulin sensitive, so obese, we yeah. can't fight off the disease. Well, well, that's not someone's fault. Someone arrives in that position because of training, because of, diet shaping but that's because their parents didn't know and we sell coke at schools to for fundraisers so there's a whole bunch of of stuff that we need to think differently about at a really different scale and if we don't get it right this time shame on us you know dude we have so much to talk about like you just that last bit i have like 27 questions just about that last bit we'll come back I'll, i'll talk to you next week We'll have to do it again. But um, yeah, so guys, check out The Ready State. Uh, There's a website. There's an app. You can see all of Kelly's books. Just uh, check everything out. He's awesome. A lot of great insights, information. There's a YouTube channel. So check everything out, and uh, we'll have to do it again. Thanks so much, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Super pleasure. We'll see you soon. See you, man.